All right, everyone, my name is Kirsten, and uh, before we take a look at the text tonight, I want you to actually turn to your neighbor, um, and I want you to tell them a time that you uh, found out that you were singing the wrong lyrics to the song. Um, so whether that was in, in the car, and you're like jamming out to your favorite song, and you sing the totally wrong lyrics, but talk. back in. Okay, so uh, if I'm going to be honest, for me, I actually don't know any songs, so all the songs I sing are just wrong. Um, if you find me singing a song in, to the radio, you're going to be like shocked. Um, but tonight, our passage of scripture um, has a little bit of this tone of that, like, you're singing the song, and you're, like, going along, and you're singing the wrong word, and you're like, this doesn't really make sense, but whatever. And then that moment where you hear the right word, or your friends make fun of you because you said the wrong word, and you're like, oh, that's what this song's about? And there's this moment of clarity that happens when you finally realize that's the actual word to the song. And so our scripture has this sense of, of clarity being brought about, a blind man made to see. And as most of the time when Jesus heals the blind, he's using this physical healing also as a spiritual metaphor for our spiritual blindness. So read with me. Um, we're going to put up on the screen. Thank you, Ashley, for putting that all in there. Um, we're going to read all of John 9 together. So let's go. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It's he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. They said to him, 
where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was such division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you said was born blind? How then does he see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how now he sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone were to confess Jesus to be Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for a second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you won't listen. Why do you want me to tell you again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the beginning of the world has it been heard that anyone has opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Like this blind man, 
we can walk through life having a very unclear picture of the things around us and of Jesus. And what this passage is teaching us tonight is that Jesus has come so that those who do not see may see and those who see may be blind because he's wanting us to have an accurate picture of who he is. So we're gonna look through the scripture tonight because he's giving us key ways of how we may come to a clearer picture of who he is. So let's pray. Father God, I ask that as we learn from your scripture, as we learn from this really fun story that we too may have eyes for you, that we would see you, and that we would believe. Pray this in your name, amen. So we come to a clearer picture of who Jesus is when we recognize that he has taken our shame and given us honor in its place. So during the time of Jesus, in the Middle Eastern culture, they lived in a society that was one of shame and honor. That was kind of their motivational drive. And for us, it's a, like a little tricky to understand because that is a very different culture than we live in. I would probably say that our kind of cultural motivation currency, so to speak, is one of power and comfort. You go to school so that you can get a job, so that you can buy a house, so that you can have a family, that you can live comfortably, have power over the things around you. It's kind of what drives us. For them, they were driven by honor. The society is also a little different because when we think of shame and honor, we think of more, more like private things, something to ourself. But for them, it was a very public public thing you knew who was honored you knew that these Pharisees were of high regard you knew that if you were blind you were to be shamed it was very public and then you could receive shame and honor in two ways you could acquire it through your family you were born into a great family and so you had high honor you were born into a bad family you were shamed and then you could attain it. You could earn it by doing something, by the job you had, working for it. And so in this story, we see a ton of this shame and honor, tension and culture happening. You see the Pharisees fighting for their own honor. And you see this blind man shamed through being born blind through being kicked out of the synagogue. And so at the very beginning of this story, we see this picture of Jesus and his disciples walking and they pass this man that is blind. And instead of these disciples, which you'd think at this point they would recognize, being moved to compassion for this man, they instead ask Jesus this like really big question. Is this man blind because of the sins of his parents or because of his sins? And Jesus, instead of just saying, this is the reason, his man, this man, this one, whatever he says, you're asking the wrong question. 
This isn't a blame game. It's not about who you can put shame on. But wait, watch. Because this man, he says, was blind so that my work may be shown off. My glory may be manifested. So Jesus enters into this man's shame. He spits in the dirt, rubs the mud on this man's face, says, go and wash. So this man does. He goes to this pool of Shalom, and he washes this mud off of his eyes. And then can you imagine what this had to be like? He's washing his face, and he opens his eyes, and there are his hands. He's never seen those before. And his arms in the water that is below him. And then he probably looks around and sees these stairs that he has somehow stumbled down and these people around him. And then he recognizes just like that, this shame that was given to him by his culture is gone. He's no longer blind. He can see. God had given him the honor, the sight, as opposed to leaving him in his shame. Jesus dismissed the shame culture and said, I'm going to make my glory manifest in him. Even though society has said that he is somebody to be shamed, I'm going to bring him sight and give him the honor of seeing and seeing me. He gets rid of shame and replaces it with honor. Jesus dismisses his shame, giving him sight. So all of you guys, I'm sure, know the story of Rosa Parks. Lived during the civil rights movement, and she was taking the bus home from work, and a white person came and asked for her seat. And she said, no. She had been working on her feet all day. She was tired. And because of the rules at the time, she knew she was supposed to give her seat up to any white person that asked. So she was arrested. And this culture that she was living in told her she was shameful because of the color of her skin, now because of this arrest and her defiant act. However, we know that this act of hers gave momentum to the civil rights movement. And we now see her not as somebody that is shameful, but we put her in such high honor for fighting for equality. It was not shame, but honor. And Jesus is doing this for all of us as well. That he is saying, I want to take your shame and put honor in its place. Because what shame is doing for us is it's giving us a very unclear, blurry image of who Jesus is. We're not able to see him clearly when we are looking at our shame. 
He may be doing all these works around us, manifesting his glory, and we can't see it because we are seeing the shame instead. I think of the Pharisees in this story. They were so concerned about their own honor that they did not even see that Jesus was literally opening this man's eyes. And maybe you guys are similar to the Pharisees in this sense, where it's like, ah, I'm not necessarily like obsessing over my shame. I'm just kind of avoiding it, ignoring it. You know, they were so concerned with their own reputation that they were not going to let anybody tell them that they were wrong, confront them, challenge them. And we do that sometimes. That we don't want to look at this junk in our life. And so anybody that comes and tells us, hey, you're wrong, or maybe we should think about doing this, we want to get rid of just like they did. But the thing is, avoiding that shame is blinding them just as much as staring at it. Because they're still unable to see who Jesus is. So we have to, if we're going to have this clear picture of Jesus, we have to admit to this junk and this shame in our life and look at it. The blind man did it. I'm blind. Jesus put mud on my eyes, and now I'm going to somehow stumble around and find this pool somewhere. That journey itself probably felt a little shameful. But he knew he was blind and wanted to see, and so he went to that pool. And he received his sight. Maybe, though, you're not like one of these Pharisees and you actually know that you are staring at your shame and you're holding it and it is keeping you from actually seeing Jesus. Because the thing is, if we saw Christ accurately, we would see Jesus on the cross who has taken our shame, who has killed it, destroyed it, and offered us new life in its place. But because we are looking at our shame and not at him, we're not seeing him clearly. And the thing is, when we feel this shame, oftentimes it comes from something somebody told us or did to us that we still believe. And so we are looking at that person that action that years ago told us we were ugly, told us that we were only good enough for this, told us that we were not good enough, and we're saying that that is true and that is bigger than the truth of Christ. So we are not receiving and getting an accurate picture of Jesus because we are seeing this shame in these people as far greater than him. But if we are able to recognize that Jesus does come into our shame and wants to give us honor, new life and glory in its place, then we get this picture of Jesus and we get this picture that this honor looks like life in him. 
And when we see him as bigger than all of this other junk, we recognize this honor he wants to give us is, is that of his children. And that he truly does love us and forgive us and is more trustworthy than all of this other stuff. So how do we get rid of this shame? First, you gotta address it. And you need people there with you to do so, not casting them out, but bringing them in. Naming what it is that told you you should be ashamed. And naming the things that you don't believe about God that allow you to hold on to that. And then start asking a different question. We can see God more clearly when we start asking who instead of how. Going back to the story, this blind man, or now seeing man, gets into the exact same conversation over and over and over again. How is it that your eyes are opened? His neighbors ask, the Pharisees ask. Well, he put mud on my eyes, I washed, and now I see. But even with this simple answer, people kept getting so confused, and it kept going in circles. And the reason is, is they were asking the wrong question. They were asking, how were your eyes open? Four times, this is what they ask him. But what if they would have asked, who is it that opened your eyes? Would the Pharisees have been as obsessed with Jesus breaking the Sabbath? And now, by the laws that the Pharisees created, Jesus broke the Sabbath in their eyes. He healed. That was against the rules. He anointed against the rules. He needed, a.k.a. he took spit and dirt and kneaded it together. Totally illegal. But what if they would not have been caring so much about the how and more about the who? Would they have seen Jesus not as breaking this law, but as actually being a fulfillment to it? And of course, we know that the Pharisees actually do care that it was Jesus. But they care more because they want to trap him, not because they want to actually learn from him. When we ask the wrong questions, we have trouble getting to the right answers. So if any of you guys have been on a mission trip with me, or been in a very long car ride with me, you guys know that I love riddles. Um, and I like the kind of riddles that are like the problem-solving ones where you can ask me any yes or no question, um, and we can get to this like big answer that I have. Um, and sometimes these riddles will take hours to solve. But they take so long to solve because people are just asking the wrong questions. But as soon as somebody asks the right question, riddle solved within minutes. Can't get to that clarity without asking the right question. In all of us, we ask how a lot, and that's okay. 
how can I get rid of this shame? How can I stop struggling with this eating disorder? How can I get out of this highly sexual relationship? How can I be done with this addiction? How can I stop being angry? How can I stop feeling guilty? How can I be good? How can I be happy? But if you're just asking these questions, this how, you're not going to see clearly who Jesus is and how to get there. But if you begin asking who, who is it that opened my eyes? Who are you, Jesus? You're going to receive this clarity. Jesus, who are you? And as you ask this question, the how suddenly becomes a little bit more clear. Jesus, who are you? I'm a God who crucifies your shame and offers you new life. God, who are you? I'm a God who creates my people in my image and I make beautiful things. God, who are you? I'm a God that fashions your relationships off of my triune nature. God, who are you? I'm a God that offers freedom to his people over and over again. God, who are you? I'm a God who gives compassion to those who are angry. God, who are you? I'm a God that forgives his people and puts their sins as far as the east is from the west. God, who are you? I am a God who tells you that you are very good. God, who are you? I am a God that offers abundant life and joy. When we start to ask the question, who is it? that opened my eyes, our picture of Jesus will become more clear. And we get a clear picture of who Jesus is when we tell our story. The really interesting part to me about this man's story is that though he tells the same story over and over and over again, the man, you know, put mud on my eyes, then I went and washed, now I see. Or my very favorite line, well, all I know is that I was blind and now I see. He told this exact story over and over again, and every time he told this story, his picture of Jesus, his description of Jesus grew and developed. First conversation he has. He refers to Jesus as a man, the man they call Jesus. Second conversation he has, he refers to Jesus as a prophet. Third conversation he has, refers to Jesus as of God, from God. Fourth conversation he has, he confesses Jesus as Lord. As this man tells his stories, the details and the knowledge of who God is grew. Jesus was not just a man, 
not just a prophet, not just from God, but he was Lord. And so in the final scene of Jesus and this blind man, who this blind man's been cast out of the synagogue, and Jesus comes and finds him, Jesus asks, do you believe in the Son of Man? He says, show me, who is he? And Jesus says, you see him. You see him. This man's physical sight has been restored, and now his spiritual sight is seeing Jesus. And he responds, Lord, I believe. The more he told his story, the more he saw Jesus clearly. And you guys probably know this from taking lots of tests and studying, but the, the storytelling, the stories that we have actually help our memory stick. And the more you tell a story, you know this, like the more life you feel within it. You see all these details and you like get really into it and it feels really close to home even though it happened years ago potentially. Or the opposite, when you don't tell stories, things seem really far away. Like, did that really happen? Those of you that went on a mission trip last spring break, probably the first two months after that trip, you were like talking all about these people, you knew these kids' names, you remembered the food, you remembered the smells, but as you stopped talking about them, you started forgetting their names. Did that really happen? You start forgetting those things. For me, I remember when I was three years old making this giant sign for my newborn baby brother. Welcome home, Adam. And I was stoked and so excited <laughs> for my baby brother to come home. The reason Jason laughed is because my brother's name is not Adam. His name is Rylan. And I had decided that since my friend's baby brother's name was Adam, that mine had to be too. So I decided to call him Adam for the first year of his life. <laughs> so the thing is, I actually love telling this story. And it feels like it just happened. I like it because it like, shows a lot about who I am. And, um, but I don't remember anything else from when I was three. I don't have memories from when I was five or 10 or even from when I was 30. Like, I remember that story because I tell it a lot. And so as I tell it, it becomes more lively. And it makes sense why people exaggerate stories after a while after they've gotten really into it, because it comes to life. And so we too are to tell our stories of Jesus. Because as we do, who he is will become more clear. We begin to tell these stories of how he's given us new life, what he's done, and then we watch and we see, oh my gosh, there's Jesus there and there and there, and oh, he is so good. And as opposed to focusing so much on our own life, we recognize that our story is his story. And it's weaved all through it. And when we tell our story, it doesn't have to be fancy. I mean, this blind man, 
All I know, I was blind, now I see. But as he continued to tell that story, he discovered more of who Jesus was. And same goes with the less we tell our story about Jesus. It makes sense that if we don't talk about what he's done in our life, did that really happen? Did he really forgive me? Does he really love me? I don't quite remember it. But if we tell our story, Jesus becomes more clear. So let us tell our story of a God who gives sight to the blind, brings light into the darkness, and offers honor instead of shame. Jesus in this scripture says that he has come to give sight to the blind and to give blindness to those who can see. Because he wants us to have an accurate, clear picture of who he is. So let us tell our story. Let us ask, who is it that opened my eyes? Let us see him as the God who, instead of giving us shame, offers us honor and manifests his glory in and through us. Let us be people that now, when God says, I'm right here, you've seen me, that we can look and say, Lord, I believe. Let's pray. Father God, um, I pray that your miracle that your gift of sight may be something we crave. That those of us that think we can see, that we've got it all right, that we would recognize and get an accurate picture of who you are. And those of us that have no idea, would you give us a picture of you? Let us see you and your power and fullness. Thank you for offering us sight. Thank you for being so good. Praise in your name, amen.